You create your life with the stories you tell yourself. Want more fun, love, and money? Then write your new story and live into it. Louis DiBianco's podcast, Change Your Story, Change Your Life, shows you how to discover your empowering story. You'll meet many successful people who have created magnificent lives, even when the odds were stacked against them. Plus, you'll learn the secrets of great storytelling that can explode your business. And now, here is your host, Louis DiBianco. One of my powerful mentors, David T.S. Wood, teaches that every master was once a disaster. Hey, hello, storytellers, and welcome to another episode of Change Your Story, Change Your Life. I'm your host, Louis DiBianco. We're fortunate that our host, Audible, is enriching lives. They are offering you, our storytellers, a free audiobook download of your choice, plus a one-month free trial of all of Audible's service. And you get to choose from more than 180,000 titles. Simply go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power and take advantage of this wonderful gift. Remember that this show is enriched by our dialogue with you. So keep your comments and inspired thoughts coming. Send them to Lewis, L-O-U-I-S, at changeyourstorypodcast.com. Today's guest was, in his own words, a money moron. He made millions at an early age, but not before living paycheck to paycheck, losing 40k in the stock market and racking up huge credit card debt. Today, still a young man, he is retired and spends his time helping people get out of debt faster, save more money, and retire rich. He is the radio and podcast host of The Scott Allen Turner Show and the best selling author of 99 Minute Millionaire. Get pumped up to greet the financial rock star to our show, Scott Allen Turner. Welcome to Change Your Story, Change Your Life. Thanks, Lewis. That was an awesome interview. That was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah the, <laughs> I hope I live up to that. You sure did. You know, that, that was the fastest interview I've ever had. I hope my guest enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> introduction i'm sorry I'm <laughs> no that's yeah. that's that's good man that's good <laughs> you know uh, i'm an actor and i'm looking at your photograph on skype and i don't know if you've ever been told this but you resemble a young alan rickman now that actor escapes me who who did what did he star in okay the thing that you probably would know him most was in die hard he was the villain in die oh hard. yes he died yeah. recently didn't he well not recently it's actually a few years ago yeah he was okay. brilliant guy was brilliant he was amazing, yeah. and he played villains very, very well. But you look like you could be his son. He was in uh, Harry Potter as well. That's right. That's yes, right. I remember him. Yeah. yeah. Excellent actor. Oh, yeah. You never heard that before, eh? No, I did not. No. Okay. Someone the other day, who did she say? She said, I look like Dennis Quaid, a younger Dennis Quaid. I was like, okay. I never thought about that. But <laughs> Well, I'll share a little trivia with you. I did a movie in Toronto with Dennis Quaid. Oh, neat. Yeah. Yeah. Well, wait a minute. I'm wrong. I did it with his brother. Randy Quaid. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, let's get on. <laughs> did, <laughs> Scott, did you have a, a childhood dream of what you wanted to be when you grew up? The earliest one I could remember, I had a, an interest in math and science. 
So when I started thinking about what I want to be when I get out of high school, I gravitated toward towards engineering because I thought that's what engineers did. They did worked on math and science. I like chemistry and um, the science classes that we had in high school where we were doing experiences, doing experiments, sorry. And so that was my earliest thought of what I wanted to be. And I lasted one semester in engineering school and college because, man, my brain was just not cut out for that stuff. <laughs> you know, I really totally relate to you, man, because I did something similar. And uh, I was studying accounting. I don't know, you know, like, and I was, I woke up by the end of the second year of accounting and say, what am I doing here? And I ended up in liberal arts and became an actor. But yeah, so you obviously had a creative side to yourself that was crying out for expression. Yeah, I have a technical side and I have a creative side as well. I don't know what sides of the brain there, but I, I think I'm evenly split. No, when I hit calculus in college, that was the first and only F I ever got in my life was calculus. I had to take it again. I blame my professor. The first one wasn't so good. But uh, yeah. <laughs> then, I, then I switched to computer science, which is a little more creative in, in my mind. You get to create software at least. Mm -hmm. Now, my second question to you is, have you grown up? In some regards, I would say I'm uh, generally a responsible adult. I have young kids now, twins. They just turned four. But I also like having a good time and goofing off. So, yeah, for the most part, I'm pretty pretty mature. <laughs> well, you know, when I ask that question, I'm not even I'm not being facetious. It's like I feel that maturity is grossly overrated and that one of the wonderful things about entrepreneurs and creative people is that, yeah, that they should be responsible, but they're not. Part of them will always remains a child, and that's gives them that sense of curiosity, passion, excitement, taking chances, etc. Right? Yeah, and you got to laugh at yourself. A story. I think it was probably three, four, maybe a couple, six, eight weeks ago. We were at church one Sunday morning, and I dropped my wife off to go pick up the kids, and I run out to the car so that I can drive up to the stop and get them. And as luck would have it, it just started pouring rain right as I was getting ready to run the front door. Not a little bit. I mean, it was downpouring. And I didn't have an umbrella because it was dry when we were going into church. So I started booking it through the parking lot. I was getting soaked. I was like, man, I'm, I'm soaked to the bone. So I just started running and splashing all the puddles like a kid would do. I was like, this yeah, is yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Like I'm getting money. I'm already wet. It doesn't make any difference. Let's just have a good time. Make the most of it because uh, I'm going to get in the car and be absolutely soaked. <laughs> That's cool. I like that image. Who would you say influenced you the most when you were growing up? I think my dad was a big influencer, his work ethic. He worked for, he's a blue-collar worker, worked for the town for most of his life, 33 years. Uh, we grew up in a very small town. So I got to see him wake up each morning, and then he'd head out to work. He'd bring his lunchbox. As he progressed later on in years, he was in charge of our little town department. They'd go out and plow the roads in the wintertime. So he'd work all the time. So he had to keep the roads clean so that people could get to and from work. And I saw that, and his life is a simple guy. Nothing fancy, um, like very simple things like gardening. And so he was a big influence on just in general attitude of enjoying life, simple things, nothing complex. I think my life is much more complex than his ever was. But I, I saw him and how he lived and I look back on my life now and the things that I enjoy doing, how I treat my kids and friends. And I see a lot of him in me. Oh, wonderful. And when you say he worked for the town, I mean, what town and what exactly did he do in his early years? Sure. I grew up in a town called Shelburne Falls, Massachusetts, out in the western side of the state. About 2,000 people. That was the size of our town. Very country town. People ask me, did you grow up near Boston? It's like, no, I've probably been to Boston five or six times my entire life. 
And what he did was he worked for the road crew, is what we called him. He, I think he started out driving the, the sanding trucks and working on the roads when they were paving roads. As I mentioned, he was he worked for the town for 33 years, and he eventually became what we called the road boss. So he was in charge of the crew, and I think there was like six or seven guys that worked for the town, and he would tell them, all right, here's where we're working today, and we're going to go dig this sewer line, or you guys are going to go plow these roads if it was wintertime and stuff like that. Did your mom work too? I am the youngest of five. Uh, her job was the homemaker for the most most yeah. of my uh-huh. life. Um, she worked part-time as I got older. I was the last one out of the house, and she worked in a coffee shop uh, a few hours a week. Real simple life, but no, not much other than that. Neither of them went to college. My dad was in the Army for a number of years. Mm-hmm. Now, have you ever worked as an employee? And if you did, what kinds of jobs did you have? Yeah, the first job I got out of a college, I worked for a startup company, and I was a computer science graduate, so I worked in software. Small company, about 20 employees. We did a messaging service, I call it. It was like fax broadcast messaging. And I worked there for a number of years. That company got bought by Western Union, pretty well-known company. (laughs) And from there, I got kind of bored with my job. I was there for a number of years. And then I worked, I like the startup environment. So I went to work for an internet startup company during the dot-com heyday. because I thought that would be cool. And it was very exciting. I enjoyed it a lot. But then we experienced the dot-com bubble bursts. So I saw a company of 100 employees, I think I was employee number 17, uh, get whacked down to 50 employees one day. Mm. That was was a bit of an experience. We were ushered off into an auditorium in our office complex. And one of the founders stood up and said, the people that you do not see here are being fired right now. And it was difficult for him. He was uh, he was 28 or 29, founder of the company. And I was oh. young, too. I was 26, 27 at the time. Wow. So we saw half our friends and coworkers leave that day. And that continued a number of other times. I was I survived five rounds of layoffs. Wow. It's one of my stories. And he, the running joke became, wow, if, if an unexpected meaning is called, you better look around and make sure Scott's in the room because you're kind of safe. That means you're not going <laughs> to let go that day. <laughs> Now, how did you make wealth quickly and then lose it? Early on, I was in IT, so I got paid decently, but I lived paycheck to paycheck. When I arrived at a point in my life, I had a house, I was single, I had a good-sized income, had an expensive car with an expensive car payment, big mortgage, and I found I was broke (laughs) and spent everything that I had earned for the most part. And I didn't realize that was not a good situation to be in. And I ended up selling my car, buying a used $6,500 truck, which I paid cash for, Starting an emergency fund, which I had not known that, hey, you should have one of these. No one taught me that growing up in case of medical emergency or I lost my job. And that was really the turning point in my life, realizing I mean, not having any money, living paycheck to paycheck, not having a safety net. That's a recipe for disaster. At that point, I started building wealth. I became more of a saver, really a hardcore saver and less of a, a spender on stuff. And so how much wealth did you amass? My turning point began about age 25, 26, and I became a self-made millionaire at age 35. And that Mm. was a combination of frugal living, not extreme, but I didn't eat out a whole lot, didn't go on vacations, worked a lot, saving and investing. And the third one was I eventually became an entrepreneur and worked on my own business, which helped. And what was that business? The first business I was part of, a couple guys approached me when we developed a training company, we taught people how to install wireless networks. So you go into a hospital, here's how you install your wireless network. Or you go into an office building, we would show them how to do that. Hmm. And then how did you end up losing a lot of money? It was after that you, after you made it, right, that you lost it? Uh, prior to that, so prior to accumulating wealth, I 
was investing in the stock market. So I learned to save and put money in my 401k. But then I started reading, you know, here's how you should invest. And the books I read were about picking individual stocks. So I thought that was what you were supposed to do when you were saving for your future, which was not. So I started picking stocks like Yahoo and Home Depot and Caterpillar and strange companies like, oh, what was one of them? HDR Bio something Genetics, which I don't know anything about genetics, but the people are saying, oh, genetics, it's the next hot thing. Kind of like people are doing with Bitcoin right now. It's, yeah. it's the next hot thing. Yes. Yeah. And so I did that and then the market tanked and I lost $40,000 in the stock market and realized, wow, that's not the way to invest. Uh, if I'd been a better investor, not so risky. I mean, I was day trading. I was doing penny stocks. Everything you should not do as an investor was pretty much what I was doing. So I lost a ton. Mm. And what did you learn from that experience? My biggest lesson was if you're going to invest, kind of like what I teach now on my show, people ask me, how do you get started investing? I never invest in something that you don't understand. And I did not invest understand any of those companies that I was investing in, really. I did not understand penny stocks, day trading, all the strange stuff. Really get a, a thorough education on what you're getting into, the pros and the cons, the risks and the rewards. Investing is super simple, but it's made out to be very complex, which I learned over the years. But if you just set it and forget it, you can build vast quantities of wealth in an employer retirement plan or on your own without wasting a lot of time and without the potential to lose a lot of money. So one of the things that interests me is uh, I agree with that. Know what you're investing in. Where do you get the knowledge? Because it seems that I know when I've gone online to find out stuff about companies, I'm just inundated with so much information. And a lot of it is an attempt to get me to subscribe to a specific newsletter, etc. How do you get the real goods that you need to know what kind of decisions, investment decisions to make? And I'm with you because I used to be the same way, being inundated with information. And it's the reason I wrote the book, 99 Minute Millionaire. Mm. The whole premise of that book was people ask me, how do I get started investing? And this knowledge that I accumulated over the years after losing 40 grand in the stock market and figuring out the right way to invest, I call myself now, I'm a boring investor. Put money in the stock market, it grows, it's in the proper buckets so that if something happens again, like 2008, 2009, don't get whacked as much as a lot of other people will. So that book, again, I'm not trying to make money on it. It's for sale, 99 cents on Amazon. So it's not the $100 a month newsletter. I've seen newsletters that are $10,000 a year, which have yeah. the next, the next yeah. hot stock tips. Uh -huh. So what I've done in my book is peeled back the layers, made it super simple. You may not even know why to invest, what investing is. And in 99 minutes, that's where the title comes from. It takes from, I know nothing about investing to here's a simple way to invest where we're not trying to get any money out of you. We're not trying to sell you anything. So here's the steps and everything I've learned over the years, which is now the investing philosophy I've done for the past 16 or 17 years now. It's simple. It takes 20 minutes a year to check up on and it just it grows. It builds wealth. It's easy, which is why I love it. 20 minutes a year? Yeah. And that's just looking at what the portfolio that I've got is maybe making minor tweaks here and there. And oh. I encourage people, the book's up on Amazon. It's a buck. I'm not trying to make money. I'm just trying to educate people. I'm in a point now where I've got financial independence. I'm quote unquote early retiree, which basically means I get to do it work because I want to, not because I have to. And I wrote this book so that people don't get scammed and they don't lose money and they don't have to go through what I went through early on and lose a bunch of money. Hmm. Uh, I'm definitely going to be uh, coughing up my uh, my buck. <laughs> I, I could use that that education. So what would you say? 
were the biggest inner obstacles to your success. It could be outer obstacles too, but everyone who I find who's successful came up against some real major barriers as they were climbing. Did that happen to you? It did in my latest endeavor, which is teaching people about personal finance. Prior to that, I always enjoyed what I did. I was a software guy. I could sit in front of a computer 14 hours a day, and that didn't bother me. I enjoyed it. But this new route I've decided to go on, it's very public. I speak. I'm in front of people. I have to go give presentations. I have my show that I do. And the inner obstacle was, you know, that you've never done this before. <laughs> Why do you think you can do this before? This is so outside of the norm. And when I'm speaking with people who are thinking along that same mindset. It's why not you? What's holding you back? Have you ever succeeded at anything else in your life? You have, well, what's that? What did you learn from it? And you can prove to yourself looking back in your life, well, I did do that and I did overcome that obstacle. And I did something I didn't think I could do originally. For me, it was the same thing. Well, I know I've done these other things in my life. I've got some successes that have been proven. I can build on those. And I really couldn't come up with any reason why I couldn't do it. I'm a firm believer that internally, Inside of each of us, it's a pretty level playing field. There's no mm. special gifts. We're outside, yes, yeah, someone who is six foot six, they get a better chance of dunking a basketball than me, who's five foot ten. But internally, it's, it's pretty level, and you can do whatever you set your mind to. Mm-hmm. And if you choose not to do it or believe you can't, that's one of my favorite sayings, whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's wonderful. So... How long did it take you to overcome your fear of getting up in front of an audience and speaking publicly? The first time I actually took a public speaking course in college, I was so scared to death I took it pass fail. So I didn't take it for a grade. It was you either pass it or you don't. Right. Okay. <laughs> and I remember uh, going into my first speech in that class and I was committed. Like, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to nail it out of the park and just talking to myself over and over again internally say, you're going to do awesome. You're going to do awesome. This is going to be the best presentation ever. And that's kind of what I do now when I'm going out and speaking or performing in front of a group, I got to convince myself internally, you know, here's what's going to happen. I always try to picture what's the worst that can happen. And generally it's never really that bad. No, that's very, very good. It's true. You know, when I was younger and uh, Muhammad Ali was around and uh, telling the world, I am the greatest, I am the greatest. I had never seen that kind of bold assertion from a person before. And I, when I first saw it, I said, what an arrogant jerk. Who's the, you know, I'm the greatest? Well, I didn't realize, because if you read about him, the guy was well aware of the, not only visualization, but of the power of affirmations. And he said, I told myself that long before it was a reality. Mm-hmm. And that's what he had to do to, to become a champion. Yeah, and I think I also heard that he had either hired people or people that around him would tell him the same thing, which oh. is another quote Another quote that I like is, if you don't believe in yourself, you know, why should anybody else? Yeah, so. <laughs> it's good stuff. Now, was there a pivotal event that began to turn things around for you from becoming, from being a money moron to now I'm on the track to success besides losing, you know, $40,000 in the stock market. Yeah, it really was when I first got into my house and I had a big mortgage payment. I had spent all my money to put down on the down payment and then went out and financed some furniture. Of course, I still haven't learned my lesson, so I charged that. <laughs> had no savings. It's a big car payment. I was like, oh, the mortgage is coming up and there's an empty bank account here. Hmm, this is This is not good. At that point, I had moved a little bit farther away from my work, so I was commuting each day 
and they were, I lived in Atlanta at the time. I would drive to work each day in one of the billboards up on the side of the road for this, for this radio personality named Clark Howard. Who's, he's very well known in Atlanta. He's syndicated nationally. And he had a show on the radio, which I just decided to tune in. He's more of a consumer advocate. You can hear him talking about, here's the best TV deal, or here's the great flights of the day that you can get. But he would also talk about, here's why you should have an emergency fund. Here's why you need to save. Here's how to get started investing. I really got addicted to listening to him. He was on the show three hours a day, and I ended up listening to him like 15 hours a week. Oh. And that hearing him and how you should manage money, and he was another great guy because he was never trying to sell you anything. That was one of the stances. He didn't. He endorsed absolutely nothing. Until this day, he's still on the radio, but he has never endorsed any single product ever, which is amazing. He was a, he was a guy who earned a lot of money early on. He retired at age 33. Wow. What's his name? Clark Howard is his name. I'd love to look him up. I'm sure he's online. Yeah. Now, what are the exercise habits and routines that contributed to your wealth building? Many of my friends say I have like really high focus. So I can sit down and work on a project for hours on end. And by being able to do that, I can knock out things in less time than other people. I can really grow a skill set rapidly. Some people say, you gotta have 10,000 hours to master something. And because of my work ethic, my focus, being able to sit down and not goof off for long periods of time, I can crank out a lot of products or services, whatever happened to do very, very quickly. So that's certainly at the top of the list, to be able to sit down and focus and not get distracted. And where does that come from? I guess it's just the passion and the love I have for what I'm doing. I think if people are not enjoying what they're doing, it's easy to say, all right, I'm, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to put it off to later. For me, it was always a joy to go to work. I enjoyed who I worked with. I enjoyed the projects that I worked on. Not, not 100% of the time, but maybe 95% of the time. It wasn't all rosy all the time. And that really gave me that focus and drive to get things done. You could make a few million dollars just selling courses on how to focus because this is a big problem for so many entrepreneurs. Huge. It is. It's that shiny yeah. object syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's interesting because you say because you're passionate, but some it's often because of their passion for many things. And I, I suffer from that, too. I'll, you know, get excited about something and I want to. Yeah, I guess it does. It becomes a shiny object and you start following it. But do you have a routine like you have you read The Miracle Morning? I have Hal Elrod's book. Yes, yeah. I've read that. Mm -hmm. And do you have that kind of routine? I do. I don't have his six steps like he does with the six different things that he do. My routine is roll out of bed and hit the treadmill for 45 minutes. <laughs> and that's probably four or five, six days a week, depending on my schedule. So I get I exercise is a big part of my life. I've got young kids. I want to be around for them as they get older and progress through life. Uh, my dad was not particularly healthy. And so I saw how his health had deteriorated. So that's a big thing I look at in my own life when I'm eating or what I'm doing, my choices. So I get up and I'll work out. And I find that gives me energy. And I like working out early in the morning because it, it gets it out of the way. <laughs> I don't have to come up with an excuse later on as why I do need to go to the gym or why I don't need to because I've already done it. You know, I, I go to the gym five days a week myself. I get that. That's wonderful. You on the treadmill? Do you do you listen to anything to podcasts or to uh, audiobooks? Yeah, since I'm on it for 45 minutes, I'll give myself 30, 35, or 40 minutes of educational material. So that might be podcasts. It might be a, a course I've purchased. I'm listening to a lot of financial stuff right now. So that's the industry that I'm in. I like learning about that stuff. And usually, the last few minutes, I'll just crank up some rock and roll because I'm getting tired at that point. I just need something to power me through. You know, I've been doing a similar thing. Which podcast do you like to listen to when you're working out? 
I like Radical Personal Finance. It's by my friend Joshua Sheets. He's a certified financial planner. Absolutely brilliant. He is a brilliant guy. He's got so many certifications and so much knowledge. And he's in his mid-30s, too. But he talks a lot about financial independence. And I always learn something from him. Nice. Do you listen to Joe Polish at all? I love marketing. I do not. Uh, Clark Howard, who we talked about, I still listen to his show. <laughs> Even though I've been listening to him for 15 years. I still learn stuff from him. He's a great source of information. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, did you have specific role models for the routines and habits that you developed? Besides, you say you got an influence from your dad, but any anybody else? None jump out to me. Financial, yeah, it was definitely going to be Clark Howard, but it was real. I enjoyed working, and I enjoyed what I did. In a, I kind of lived in a cave because <laughs> I was in IT sitting behind the computer desk. It wasn't until years and years later, it was actually 2014, 2013, I think, I realized that I was an entrepreneur after being an entrepreneur <laughs> for 10 years because I spent so much time behind the computer and not interacting with people. And I didn't even, I was a small business owner and an entrepreneur and even a serial entrepreneur, but I didn't know it. <laughs> it was the strangest thing. I started reading books about entrepreneurship and success and building businesses. And then I realized, wow, you know, all these things that people are talking about, that's, that sounds like me. I do that stuff. So it was a bit of uh, an interesting awakening to have done something for so long and then realize there was this whole society out there and conferences and people and people writing books and talking about and selling all these courses and things about stuff that I've been doing for years and years, but I didn't know that any of that stuff existed. So you've been selling courses online for a long time? Yeah, really since uh, early 2000s. How did you... Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. In multiple different niches, multiple different uh, businesses. I've had eight companies over the past 16, 17 years. Most of them centered around education. When you say education, that's a broad term. I mean, educate what kind of education? Yeah. The first one we talked about, so that was wireless computer networks, a company right. I started with my wife in 2007. We taught architects and general contractors about green building and energy efficiency because that's my wife's area of knowledge that she was specializing in at the time. How did you develop the um, the clients? How did you attract the clients? Because this, I'm sure, is of interest to a lot of people because you obviously use the internet, right? Yes, absolutely. My business model is a little bit different than a lot of people's. I try to look at everything else that's out there, at least the businesses I've had over the past few years. And my philosophy is I want to develop a product or service that is twice as good as anything else out there. And I want to sell it for half the cost. Wow. And, when, and when I do that, the business comes in from referrals and word of mouth. The Green Building Education Company specifically, I think we got half of our business from referrals because we looked at all the competitors out there and we offered twice as much product and then we offered it at half the price. And no one could believe that we were doing that. And for me, I was like, this is awesome. You know, I'm making money. I'm making people happy. I'm selling stuff. And I don't mind making half as much because I'm getting the volume of it in is much more making up for it. I'm getting all this free advertising. So that, that model worked out for me. That's beautiful. How do you systematically begin doing the research for that? Let's say you say, okay, I'm going to enter this market. Where do you begin to look for everything else that's being offered? Sure. I'll give you another example. My wife and I and a couple other people, we run an embryo donation and adoption website. So we call wow. ourselves the, ma the match.com of adoption. And mm. Our friends, who are business partners, went through that. They wanted to start a business, an online business, which they don't have the coding skills, whereas I do, so it was a natural complement to each other. We went out and figured, you know, here's everyone else that's doing this, and there wasn't a lot of people doing it at the time because it's really, really small niche. We saw what they were charging. 
What are they offering? How are they doing it? How can we make it better? And so we made it 10 times better than anything else that was out there that was available. And then we charged a much smaller fee than those companies that were out there. So for me, I'm starting by looking at who are all the competitors? What are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? How can I offer more? And then is there a way that I can offer it for less and still be profitable? And do you go into forums, et cetera, to start letting people know that you exist? Yeah, that's this, that particular company, the Embryo Donation Adoption Business, our business partners spent a lot of time in forums letting people know that we were out there. I think we did some very minimal Facebook advertising early on. When I say minimal, I'm talking about five bucks a day, not mm. much. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. This is great. This is wonderful. Now, I'm fascinated. You took at one point a $50,000 pay cut and it became a learning experience for you. What was that about? Yeah, when I left corporate world, I was working at the internet startup and I'd been doing my side business for three years, evenings and weekends. Hadn't gotten paid up to that point. I had two business partners. This is the wireless networking company. And what happened was I just reached, reached total burnout at that point. Been three years, 70, 80 hours a week, all weekends, all vacations spent on the side business. And one day I was like, ah, I've had enough of this. So I asked my business partners, do we have enough to pay my basic bills, my mortgage, my insurance, my food, gas, etc.? Nothing fancy, just the basics, which ended up being a $50,000 pay cut from what I was making. And they said, yeah, we can do that. And within a week or two, I resigned from my corporate job and went to work full time as, as an entrepreneur. Wow. And of course, you were happier. I was because I didn't have to work 80 hours a week anymore. <laughs> I had an emergency fund in place for six months in case something bad happened. And I had a lot more free time. And prior to leaving, I asked my ass, kind of told my business partners, I want Friday mornings off because I want to go volunteer at the Botanical Gardens. This is back in Atlanta. And they said, sure, no problem. Wow. Good for you. What are the biggest challenges that people face when they transition from employee to entrepreneur? The biggest one I've noticed is you have to set your own schedule. And most people are not disciplined enough to do that. Mm. Meaning it's easy, especially when you're working from home. The laundry needs doing. You know, I could go start the laundry right now and it's 12 o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> Normally you do that on a Saturday morning, as most normal people do. For me, okay, yeah, I can go mow the lawn in the middle of the afternoon on a, on a Wednesday. Or I go to Walmart or Costco. I found the best time to shop at Costco is 11 a.m. Uh, about a Monday or Tuesday because no one else is there. <laughs> Everyone else there is Saturday morning. So really yeah. the discipline to do that and figure out, all right, I've got to work my 40, 50 hours a week. When am I going to fit those in? Most people make the mistake of working all hours, all the time, seven days a week. And you don't accomplish much as you just block out a certain amount of hours Monday through Friday and keep a normal schedule. Hmm. Yeah, I, I find that that transition's tough for people. Like, and what about the when they discover that um, they don't have this accountability that they have when they go to a job? Some people, I found what helps them out is just go to Starbucks. Oh, okay. You know, work at Starbucks 8 to 11. I know people now who do that, and they're not entrepreneurs, but if they work from home, that may be their office for a few hours a day. That's and it's interesting. Good, yeah. It's good focused work because you're out of the house, not in an office, but you're in a place that you get stuff done. That's very interesting. The psychology of that, because you look around you and other people are, you know, focused on something and then you just feel kind of bond, right? Yeah. A lot of people have offices at Starbucks. (laughs) (laughs) Cost you you $5 and 50 cents a day, I guess. (laughs) Starbucks is going to get really wise to that and see what they kind of start charging for it. (laughs) So uh, maybe I'm wrong here, but it seems that you feel at home in a rock star persona. I do. Yes. I. Yeah, go ahead. Do you, uh, why, why is that? 
I started playing music at a late age. I didn't pick up a guitar until I was 21. And I'm in a couple bands now. So I'm, I grew up on rock and roll. I mean, I love it. I grew up on ACDC and Kiss, a lot of the early bands and heavy metal. So it's always been a part of me. But I didn't start playing music until much, much later in life. Which I encourage people, you know, pick up an instrument. Most people are going to wait till they retire if they ever pick it up to pursue like a passion project or art, whatever that happens to be. There's no better time to start than now. And then when you, a year from now, you'd be glad you did. Whereas if a year from now, if you don't start, you'd be, you wish you had. Yeah. What are the bands you belong to? Uh, they're just cover bands. So we play a lot of rock and roll music from 70s all the way up to recent stuff. Mm-hmm. What are their names? What do you call them? Oh, one, one of them is 4th and Main. That's just the, the address that we practice at. We keep it really simple. <laughs> okay. And the other one? Uh, the other one, I don't think we have a name. We just get together and play out once in a while. Cool, cool. Do you have a fame, uh, a favorite uh, celebrity musician, rock musician? Uh, one of my favorites is a guy. He's very, he's not well-known. His name is Ingve Malmsteen. I think he hails from, well, what country? He's from Europe, but he's over here. He lives in Florida now. He's a, he plays, I uh, call it classical music, but with the guitar really, really fast. <laughs> and uh, I've seen it. I don't, can't remember how many times I've seen him. His, his name is very strange. It's Y-N-G-W-I-E. Ingve is how it's pronounced. Y-M-G? Y-N-G-W-I-E. Ingve. You don't know where he's from? Not originally, but he plays. He likes Paganini. Is one of the famous classical mm-hmm. writers that he likes, and he'll take Paganini's music and then play it on an electric guitar. Do you invest? Do you like jazz, by the way? I will listen to it, but I don't actively go out and no. purchase music and then listen to um doing daily activities. Okay, I grew up on jazz. I happen to love that a lot. I like rock and roll too. Um, do you invest in your own personal development, formal personal development? I do. I go to conferences a couple times a year. I also purchase online courses if I think it's something that I can benefit from. So I, I don't know what percent of my income I invest in it, but I'm, I'm a lifelong learner. In, in personal finance, you have to be <laughs> because even now, the tax codes are changing. So it's something that you have to keep up with and the economy, what's going on with that. So there's all kinds of new rules and new regulations. It's a constant learning. So I'm in the perfect industry because I love to learn and read. That is valuable, but I'm talking more about mindset study, you know, like personal growth, growing yourself, you know, your whole, like you said before, developing the I can attitude or how to break through barriers and how to grow your yourself and your business even larger by modifying your mindset. Do you do that? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a huge fan of Zig Ziglar, huge mm-hmm. fan of Tony Robbins, uh, those style of books, the self-help books. I enjoy reading those. I've got a whole bookshelf full of stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. So equally amounts of information and knowledge about growing your brain, breaking through stuff, as well as the technical stuff that's necessary for the industry that I'm in. Growing your brain. This is very big today because they're learning so much about the mind and the brain that is truly, it's almost out of sci-fi. Yes, it is. Right? You're familiar with a book, and this one's pretty extreme. I don't recommend this to everybody, but it's fascinating to me. It's called Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. I've not heard that, but it sounds interesting. Oh, it can be a game changer, but I guess it's not for everyone. It's not for the faint of heart. Do you have a favorite thought leader? Uh, do you have, like, for instance, have you taken any of Tony Robbins's uh, signature class courses? I have not dropped the $2,600 to go spend a few days with him. I don't know if I could do that because I've heard they're pretty high energy. 
But uh, I have I own I don't know how many of his books I own. I own his books and his pre-recorded audio courses. So he's yeah, he's probably at the top of the list of the people that I listen to and learn from. Some of his stuff is a little bit weird, but you know, I don't do right. everything that he says. <laughs> what what's weird? That's interesting you should say that. What what is weird that you find from him? Uh one of his programs I listen to, he gets into I don't remember which chapters in, but specific ways of breathing. All right. So you inhale a certain period of time, then you hold it for a certain amount of time. And then you exhale and you hold the exhale for a certain amount of time. So he's had all this science behind that is why this works. And I tried it for a while, but it's not something I'm going to actively do every day or build into my schedule, breathing a certain way. Yeah, they, they, I mean, it's it's very powerful, but it does demand um, a lot of practice. You don't, uh, that's mm-hmm. not something that comes easily. But um, you you probably have Netflix, do you? Yes, yes. Have you seen the documentary? It's probably still there. Tony Robbins, I am not your guru. I know it's on the watch list. We just got Netflix again. My wife switches between Netflix and Hulu. So we had Hulu all okay. summer. Now we're, now we're just now back to Netflix. It's it's really, really worth watching. It's very powerful. Okay. Uh, you're inside of one of his signature cl- classes, which is the Date with Destiny. Okay. And you get, you get to see a side of him that uh, most people don't even think exists. Mm-hmm. What is the primary intangible that lights your fire? and makes you jump out of bed every day ready to seize the world? For me, it is helping people. I spend the majority of my time at what I do now is just recording a show, doing show prep, answering listener questions, which is the crux of the show that I do. I get personal finance questions from people. Uh, one I got yesterday, he was thinking about buying a car for his son. He wants to know whether he should do that or not. And then I get questions from people. Hey, I'm a quarter million dollars in debt. What's the best path out? So it's all over the place. But when I get the emails from people, they send me selfies saying, hey, my friend Steve and Laura, they live out. They're in Maryland now, but they started listening to my show a couple of years ago. And then they'll send me pictures. Hey, it's the middle of the week. We're at the beach and we would not be here at the beach if it weren't for your show. Because they've achieved a level of financial independence in their life where they can take a couple of days off, they go camping in the middle of the week, whatever it happens to be. So stories like that, people getting out of debt or saving first amount of money or getting started investing. So that that really drives me, those letters and the, the words and the stories that I hear from people that have basically turned their lives around for the better. That's beautiful. That is really, yeah, that's very gratifying. It's true. Cannot put a dollar sign on that. Why Why should people not compromise on their nutrition? Well, I'll go back to my dad. Uh, dad was a meat and potatoes man, which I love steak and potatoes too. Drank a lot of beer. That's <laughs> not particularly healthy. And I think at late 50s, he had quadruple bypass. So they took, and if people are not familiar with that, they take an artery out of another part of your body. In this case, it was his leg. And then they reroute the arteries in the heart using that artery that they took out from somewhere else. And when they did that to him, his leg was never quite the same. He got through it, but he always limped and he couldn't go more than 100, 200 yards, couldn't stand uh, long periods of time, or his leg would bother him. And so I saw what that did to him. He lived till age 78, but 15, 20 years of his life, he's kind of out of commission for the most part. Mm. So I look at him and I'm very active. I've got young kids. I want to be very active. I want to be able to throw the ball to them, walk do all those things, stand for long periods of time. I'm at my stand-up desk. I'm standing right now. I stand for anywhere from seven to eight hours a day. Whoa, whoa, that's amazing. So I want to be able to continue to do that. And if you neglect your health, you can end up in a situation like that. Each of us has a choice. You can pay now or you're going to pay later. And paying later means more medical bills. You're going to pay with discomfort or lack of energy. Paying now means you're going to commit the time to exercising. You're going to commit the resources to buying healthier food, cooking for yourself, 
rather than buying pre-processed stuff. So we spend a little bit more on our grocery budget. I spend a lot of time working out because I want to stay out of the hospital and be able to walk around in 20, 30 years. That is, it's just a wonderful um, role model to put out into the world. More and more people, you know, you look around you in the United States, uh, there's a, an obesity epidemic and people keep ignoring it. That That's wonderful. What is more important than talent, in your opinion, for achieving massive success? Well, I'm probably a rare bird. I totally do not believe in talent. <laughs> I've got a couple books on that. One is called The Inner Game of Music is one. Another one's called Talent is Overrated. Mm -hmm. and, a, and a third is called The Talent Code. So these authors went out and did research. And Mozart is a great example. They looked at, we think Mozart is this prodigy because he wrote his first, whatever, symphony at age, I don't know, seven, eight, nine. So these authors go out and do their research and they found it. no, he took his dad's work because his dad was also a writer, whatever they call the people who write the music, <laughs> composer, there we go. He found his dad composed music. So Mozart learned that from him and he would take his dad's music and then other contemporaries and piece them together to create his own stuff. And his earlier works were are terrible. They're awful. And through this repetition and refining over years and years and years, he finally became good at composing what we call him a prodigy. He yeah. wasn't. Hmm. So I don't I don't believe in talent. And in my own life, I didn't become really good at guitar until the, my mid-30s. And I don't have any natural talent at all. I have focus and I have drive, and that's about it. And that gets me through pretty much anything. And I was able to achieve a good level at a guitar. I'm not a professional by any means, but I'm better than a lot of other people, and I'm certainly good for starting so late. And it wasn't talent. It was just persistence. So I, I, I don't believe in talent. I think that's a crux people use that say, oh, I can't do that, or that person's talented, or I can never be as talented that person. No, it's just because they put in the hours, the thousands and thousands of hours in order to do whatever they're trying to do. I agree. You know, I've been an actor most of my adult life, and I taught acting. And in my younger years, I believed that some people were just born with that talent and others would never have it. And now I've completely changed. And I believe, for instance, for acting for the camera particularly, that I can take any human being who's willing to be open and authentic and turn them into a really good film actor. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's, it is. It's just relaxing and putting your mind to it, the right mindset and doing the work. I love that. So two, you mentioned three books. One was The Talent Code. The other one is what, Talent is Overrated? Yes. And the, and the first one was what? The Inner Game of Music. And I think there's another one called The Inner Game of Tennis, for those of you that are tennis players. I don't know how many different books that that author has written. He, The core of the book is the same. It's like overcoming mental things in regards to whatever you're task you're going after. So you wrote one for tennis, you wrote one for music, and I don't know if there's other ones or not. Mm -hmm. Definitely good. That's, that, that's very rich. This stuff is very rich. How do you define success? For me, I think about you know, what kind of legacy do I want to leave? What do I want to be known for uh, at the end of my days? And it's really, was I a good husband and was I a good dad? Everything else after that is just, is just gravy. That is, uh, it's quite commendable. Beautiful. Who are your ideal clients, Scott, and what will they gain working with you? My ideal clients, or rather say my ideal listeners, are people who want to achieve financial independence maybe earlier than age 65. <laughs> That's what we're taught. 65 is just a made-up number for retirement, by the way. <laughs> um, yeah. Mm -hmm. People want to achieve financial independence early. People want to focus on a life full of awesome experiences compared to consuming and having large quantities of stuff. I love stuff. But I've learned over the years, the experiences are more important to me. Travel, vacation, time with family, rather than 
nice watches. I don't own any nice watches, but stuff like that. Cool. What do you drive? What do you drive these days? I drive a 2007 Honda Fit, just across 120,000 miles, and we bought that new uh, in 2007, my wife and I. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so still driving it. It's a piece of junk, but now it's it's a symbol. That's what it's, become. <laughs> it's like, you know, this car, I've had nice cars. This car is a piece of junk. I mean, it's, it looks terrible. You would not believe that the person behind the wheel has achieved what he's achieved. <laughs> but I drive it now. It's, it's a status symbol for, for me of frugality and what you can do when you don't have a car payment. Well, it's it's also a powerful symbol of the um, the gift of detachment. I mean, you're not attached to, you don't need that to define who you are. You know? No, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Where do you see yourself in five years? I love what I'm doing so much. I don't see myself changing direction at all. I keep doing what I'm doing. My goal is to impact millions of people, change their financial lives so that they can experience life as it's intended to be experienced. And you'll continue to do that by doing a podcast. Now you, you've written one book. Do you intend to write another? I do. I just published, self-published my second book. It's a children's book. I wrote it for my kids since they're, they're younger. It's called Money A to Z. And it's up on Amazon just last week, actually. (laughs) And that book is an introductory guide for kids age two to six about money. Which is definitely not too young to get them started um, understanding that. That is wonderful. Because, I mean, I don't know about you. In my education, I had, you know, I have a master's degree, but uh, I had zero financial education. Yeah, I didn't have any either. (laughs) No, no, it's quite fascinating. It really is. Um, You mentioned some books, but what would be your favorite book? Probably the one that got me started early on, my brother recommended to me. It's Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. I keep mm. finding myself going back to that time and time again. If I'm crafting an email and I need to know how to word something, but I didn't have any social skills early on and definitely not growing up and not early on in my career either. <laughs> self-centered, uh, selfish, and that book really helped me think about putting other people first and what that can do in your life. It's interesting because you certainly don't come across as a self-centered, selfish guy. You know? Well, that's that's changed. That's always a work in progress. <laughs> well, I'll agree with that one. <laughs> Give a favorite quote. I do, and it's a bit of an oddball one. I'm uh, used to be a big-time wakeboarder. My wife and I boat, so we spent our summers at the lake, and we would listen to music when we were learning about wakeboarding. And wakeboarding, you're driving behind a boat going 20, 22 miles an hour. You're hitting jumps in the water. Uh, for reference, I've gotten a concussion i've torn my mcl my knee and then i've gotten five stitches in my 12 stitches in my hand on different occasions wakeboarding so it's not necessarily safe but my quote is fear is the mind killer and and uh where is that from it's from a song i don't know who the uh, artist was but we used to listen to that song when we were learning about wakeboarding and watching videos how to do certain tricks and we would get out behind the water and you would go be overcome with fear because you're going so fast like i'm gonna get hurt again but fear is the mind killer (laughs) yeah yeah i agree very very powerful force if you could wave a magic wand scott and change only one thing in the world what would it be i think one thing that's impacted my life recently is just recognizing that money is not the be all end all. And that is people's perception of money is uh, if I just get this dollar amount and it's all going to change. But if you're not content with little, you're not going to be content with much either. So if I could change people's perception of what's important in life and how money that plays into that money is just a tool, I think you really see a lot of different people living their lives differently. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think there is definitely a an energy in the entrepreneurial world that's that's bringing that more and more to the forefront. 
Yes, indeed. You know, it's quite wonderful to see. How can people contact you? Uh, my website is Scott Allen Turner, A-L-A-N, allenturner.com. It's got all my contact information on there, and I love to hear from people whether they have questions about business or personal finance. Uh, that's what my show is about, so I'm always there for people to ask questions. It gives me stuff to talk about on the show. <laughs> and uh, I encourage people, too, because you come across as a person with integrity and um, a person they can trust, and that's important. Thank you. Absolutely. I'm going to ask a question that Joe Polish asks. I like it. I've never asked it before, actually. And the question is, is there something that I should have asked you that I haven't? I think people have asked me that before. <laughs> something you huh? should have asked me. Not that anything. I just want to encourage people. This is where I'm dealing with a lot of people where we're trying to figure out you know, where you are, where you're trying to get to. A lot of people get discouraged because they're in financial dire straits. And we all start where we start. We've all had mistakes. We've all had our money more on moments. I know I have had plenty, but there's there's a way to get out and there's a path ahead. And It's not always going to be as bad as it seems right now. That's excellent advice. Thank you so much for a really grounded and inspiring podcast interview today. And uh, people, I'm sure, will get a lot out of it. Thanks, Louis. I appreciate it. Thank you once again, storytellers, for spending time today with me and Scott Allen Turner. Please pay this forward. Let people know that they can hear this show on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, and at the website, changeyourstorypodcast.com. Take advantage of the free gift on that website, a downloadable free ebook that I have created for you called Storytelling Secrets for a Rich Life and Business. And rush over to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power and choose a great book that can help you to grow and transform your life and enrich it. You can choose from more than 180,000 titles. Any book of your choice in an audio format and also get one month free trial of all of Audible service. Today, Scott and I were talking about money. It's my feeling that money is an extremely emotional topic and as a result, it's a very cloudy topic for many, many people. I personally believe that it's actually more difficult for people to get clear about and talk about money than it is for them to talk today about sex. And I think that people are still pretty confused about the topic of sex, which means that they're really confused about the topic of money. I also believe that to understand money, the actual principles of money and how money works, it's not that difficult. It's not really rocket science. But what is difficult, or let's say what is challenging, is the mindset and our attitude around money. That's what we need to address first so that then we can get money properly positioned in our lives, take advantage of it, attract it, enjoy it. I would say allow it because many of us won't allow money because of our upbringing, because of feelings of discomfort, feelings of guilt around the topic of money. Begin to ask yourself, what is my money story? Is it one that empowers me or is it one that leaves me frustrated, maybe even in pain? And know that you can change that story 
begin by asking, how can I change my story and change my life? Tune in to the next episode of Louis DiBianco's podcast. Become unstoppable as you learn to change your story, change your life.